This episode of the NFT QT podcast is brought to you by the NFT Handbook. The NFT Handbook is a detailed guide on how to create, sell, and buy non-fungible tokens without the need for a technical background. Learn exactly what NFTs are, how they've evolved, and why they have value by checking out the NFT Handbook on Amazon.com. Yo, what's good? What's good? I think we have my co-host, Ryan Cowdery. Cowdery, are you there? I am. And we have another special guest on this episode, and that would be Daisy. Daisy, are you there? Hi. I'm here. And for uh, Ryan, let's just let's let's just get let's just walk the people through. We're talking about NFTs and they probably don't know who Daisy is. So let's go ahead and, and just go ahead and talk about one of Daisy's projects, which was dirt. Are you familiar with that one, Ryan? I am. You uh, sent me one of their NFTs way back. One of the first yeah. NFTs I actually collected. And you gave it away. Daisy, can you believe that? I bought uh, I, I bought two of your uh, your first season one NFTs. Uh, it was I don't know if it was an accident or I did it intentionally. We'll just say it, it was a combination of both. So I had two NFTs. I sent one to Ryan and then I hit him up like when you all were going to do the evolutions where if you had two uh, dirt NFTs and you would get the shiny NFT. And so I'm like, yo, Ryan, you still got that NFT I gave you. And he's like, nah, man, you know, I sold it. Daisy, can <laughs> well, you believe it? I didn't sell it. I, I gave it as a gift to somebody who gave me an NFT <laughs> as a gift. I was like, well, what, what are some, uh, some NFTs in my, in my wallet that I, I don't remember why I bought? Oh, this <laughs> dirt came up and I apologize. It was just one of those, those quick moments where I, I wish I still had it. Cause I think this next, next season you guys are going to release, I'll probably buy one just cause I love the concept, but yeah, somebody out there who, they're, who they're ha- has a dirt NFT and they, they don't even know what it is. Yeah. They're winning <laughs> off that. So season one of the NFT sale netted around 12 E for dirt and those funds were used to pay writers. And so what Dirt is is an email newsletter. Daisy, I'll, I'll actually let you 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 cover that because it's you're here, and so tell us about your project. <laughs> yeah, so our working tagline right now is cultural criticism for the metaverse. And I love cover, that. I love that. A thank lot. you. <laughs> we cover streaming and entertainment uh, pretty broadly. So sometimes that means fashion. Sometimes that means TikTok. Sometimes that means just waxing nostalgic for sort of a smaller internet, early internet days. And we started out as just me and my co-founder, Kyle Cheka, who is a contributor for The New Yorker and actually wrote a pretty blockbuster piece about the Board 8 Yacht Club that I've seen um, be passed around a lot on Twitter. And I think was an introduction for a lot of people to the world of NFTs um, and NFT avatar projects. But It started off as just Kyle and I writing about whatever we wanted to write about on Substack. And over time and through uh, raising money on the NFTs, we've been able to pay other contributors and a sort of dirt point of view has emerged. And now it's a full-fledged editorial project, but- Where does the name come from for the people that are just joining us? The name, I remember brainstorming names with Kyle a long time ago. I think- we wanted it to be sort of playful and irreverent and um, drawing on sort of the environment of the internet. It's this idea that we're going to touch on topics that are so um, quotidian, I guess, to digital life that nobody's ever bothered to write intelligently about them. It's like making you look at your digital environment in a so, new way. So I've been... And, a- 
Yeah. So just to comment on that, right? So I've been a Dirt subscriber, like literally since your inception, I guess, for the first NFT or when you first could mint them. I was like, uh, how many how many NFTs did you have? It was 131 or something like that. Yeah, and we had something like 110 individual collectors. Yeah, yeah. So I so I was one of the few people that bought two. Don't don't ask me why or how, but I, I had two, so I'm sorry. I, I took someone's spot. But no, that was the right choice, though. It, it was. <laughs> you got it, a hollow. It was. It was. Uh, it, but you know, I ended up having to buy it because I gave Ryan my other one, and then. I had to buy another dirt. And so that's how I ended up getting to again. So I also, so I've, I've purchased three dirt NFTs, but we're not going to, we're not going to get into that. I, the, the point that I'm making here is the headlines, right? So when you think about newsletters and email newsletters, oftentimes, uh, like if I get, uh, are you okay? Can we mention other email newsletters on this? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. okay. So a lot of people are probably familiar with the hustle or uh, warm brew, like their emails are really well optimized for open rates, uh, the material getting it to you. If you don't like it, you'll quickly see something else. So that way you, you count the retention is there with dirt. It's literally like you're, you're saying, this is what we're talking about today. If you don't want to read about it, or if there's something else, we'll tell you in the headline. But beyond that, like, you know, check in tomorrow if this isn't your, your call. And then sometimes you'll even do like, I think for season one, I remember early, early on, you had the pitch call where you, uh, you allowed us to tell, to ask like, or to suggest topics, which was kind of cool. So is, is that, so do you, I guess my question is, how are you thinking about just kind of growth beyond the, the, the token holders? Is this something where you're going to chase optimization and, and open rates, or is this more of a project where it's like the people that want this, they're paying for it. So we're, we don't have to go and, and hit you with a spammy headline or, you know, give you clickbait because ideally you're paying for something you're going to read and open. Yeah. Well, we have 5,300 subscribers, more than 5,300. We have a 49% open rate, which means on average, people are opening the newsletter half the time, which I think is pretty good because I have newsletters that I love and support, and I don't remember to open them every day or even every other day. So 50% based on my knowledge of the media industry is pretty high. There's a lot of loyalty there. And the headlines are not clickbait per se or the subject lines, but they are clickbait for a certain type of person, I think. Um, Somebody who's a little weirder and Kyle and I are definitely weird. Um, but when we're talking about our community for dirt, our readers and our token holder community are not one-to-one. So there are readers of dirt that don't know about NFTs. They aren't interested in learning about them. And then there's token holders who don't read the newsletter. But I think that we can continue to create value for both of those groups. And we have sort of three pillars to the project right now that we're developing. We have content, community, and curation. And if you look at it as sort of a Venn diagram, in the content circle, you have readership. In the curation circle, you have the NFT buyers. And then in the middle is the community, which is the readership, the NFT buyers, and then future token holders. So if we go down the DAO route, which we're really seriously exploring right now, there might be token holders who do not have an NFT associated with their tokens, and they'll be part of the community as well. Um, And so in terms of next steps, um, we want to continue to grow the subscriber base, and that will continue to be free for the foreseeable future. And then we'd like to build channels for token holders to give editorial input, and that will most likely be through Discord. And just continue to use the newsletter to tell stories about 
NFTs and maybe some of those subscribers who aren't interested in NFTs now will become interested in them through this storytelling. I think, you know, there are some really interesting projects in the NFT community that don't necessarily break out because they don't have the asset that Kyle and I have, which is that we're writers, we're storytellers, and we know how to tell an interesting story around something. And that's what we're trying to do with Dirt and Dirty as a character. Well, that's what I love about it too, is, you know, I, you can kind of go, you can go on your Substack, and I get to browse, you know, the, even though I'm no longer a token holder, sorry, uh, you get to kind of browse your stories. And what I find fascinating is you very much are the opposite of clickbait where it's like, here's a random title. I never thought I would ever see come into my inbox. Let me show why you should be interested in it. Yo, and that's what I do like about it. The, the one that caught me, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest is, uh, Kyle wrote an article called Dress Like a Pokemon Trader. You remember that one, Daisy? <laughs> yeah. Yo. Oh, how could I forget? Yo. And then like, I'm like, I, I am reading this and like, I'm locked in because, you know, Pokemon, I'm a, I'm a nerd too. So I'm like, oh yeah, Ash Ketchum and, and like May and Misty. I'm like, I'm thinking about it like real deep. And, and he does this deep dive where he like literally lays out all the, the outfits. And then at the end, it catches me off guard because he's like, oh yeah, like I'm not just writing this. I actually, uh, I dress like this too. Check it out. And I was like, <laughs> dang, this dude's like, he just wrote a whole essay on like how to dress like a Pokemon trainer. Oh yeah, he does. I've seen him dress like a Pokemon trainer in person. So <laughs> does he, does he play Pokemon go too? like, is, does he have a Pokedex or like what's, I wish Kyle was here. Cause I would, I would ask him a bunch of questions. I know him. he's busy. So you got stuck with me. I don't know <laughs> if he's been playing Pokemon. I think he, he did go through, um, what was that animal game everyone was playing during early quarantine? Animal Crossing. Oh yeah. yeah. I think he went through an Animal Crossing phase, but oh. we haven't talked about gaming in a while. Um, I'm not really a gamer myself. Oh, you're not a gamer. That makes sense. But I appreciate the aesthetics of it. <laughs> Man, you you and Ryan, Daisy and Ryan, you all you, you don't know what you're missing out on. All right, all right, I think I do know what I'm missing out on. It's just time wise, man. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't that's why I only play one game now. Uh, but we're, we're, we're not going to get into that. Ryan, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you going to ask DJ a question? I was. Okay, so you have, you said around 3,500 or so subscribers to the newsletter. You have, you know, a uh, hundred plus, uh, token holders. I'm very curious, like the people who are rocking with you right now, do you see like, I'm sure you've had many conversations with those people. Are they collecting because they, they want to support this newsletter because like, they love the writing. Are they speculating that maybe one day these NFTs on the resale market could be something big? Should the newsletter become, you know, something as big as the hustle or whatever? I guess what are what do you see like the reasoning why people are are, are supporting dirt right now? Well, one of the pain points we actually found through the first mirror sale, and we were very lucky that Mirror took an interest in us as a test case for their additions, because I think having Mirror signal boost our first sale definitely helped make it a success. But one of the pain points was that we don't have contact information for people whose wallets are not attached to a Twitter account or another social account. And so of those 100 plus collectors, we only are able to be in touch directly with like a dozen of them. And so of course we sent them a survey to ask what they're interested in. And it's really the token that people are most interested in. They are wanting us to create value for that token. However, we can do that. And they're pretty agnostic about whether that means expanding the editorial product or selling more NFTs. But 
what we, the kind of message we got from most people was you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing. I bought this for the token and I think the art is cool and I like the newsletter and we want to see, um, you know, what this token can come to mean. So, so, so that was a really nice response. <laughs> and, and building off that, because you're not like a crypto nerd per se, like you're a freelance journalist and you've written for some pretty notable places, the New York times, wall street journal, GQ, like you, you you've been, you're a real journalist, right? Um, not aspiring. And so the question is, is how did you get into NFTs? Like, like, cause it's like one of those areas where you do have the crypto punks, you do have the board API clubs, you do have, uh, the, the long necky ladies. Where was, where did, how did like, tell that story? Well, Kyle came to me once we were doing dirt and said, I want to start selling NFTs. And I said, okay, you know, teach me how to do it. Explain to me like I'm a five-year-old, what this means. And we will learn about it through doing basically. So I was selling NFTs through this project before I was collecting them. And now I've collected a few and have sort of enjoyed the space as a, as a consumer, but that was the impetus for me, the potential of, Hey, here's a revenue stream that we could explore. We could be sort of the first ones to do this. Let's see where it goes. Um, low risk, high reward situation. And how did you promote it? Cause I found out about it through mirror. Like I had signed up for mirror maybe a month before like I was in their early beta and I was just like curious what they were going to do. And then I got an email and I was like, I looked at the project cause I, I get, you know, we, we get hit up for NFT projects all the time and I, I choose to buy and sometimes I don't, but on yours, I like the whole concept of the newsletter. I thought the, the NFT looked cool, like the little dirty figure. And I thought it was like one of those things where you all were using the NFT to fund your, your project. So I was like, Oh, okay. The season thing is, is kind of cool. Uh, where like Kyle and you just kind of just said, Hey, this is how we're going to lay it out. Or like, what was the roadmap for the NFTs beyond like just trying it and testing? You were like, if this works, like, did you were just going to figure it out as it goes or what was your, what was your thinking there? Yeah. The thinking was let's not spend more than we can take in. So we're going to think about this as a two month season. We're going to have this first sale, um, fund this first season. We'll stretch it for two months. And maybe it works and we do another season, maybe it doesn't. And then, you know, dirt had one season and it was fine. Or we pivot to the traditional Substack model, which is um, going to those um, 5,300 subscribers and saying, Hey, please give us $5 a month. And maybe that would be um, the safer choice, but we wouldn't have benefited, I think from the novelty of this revenue model, which is something that has gotten people's attention. And I think we also would not have been able to bring in people who were not already in our publishing social circle or social media circle and attract people who were really coming from the NFT space into the editorial space and not vice versa. So knowing that like, Substack was all the craze. I feel like the last few years, uh, really what, like late 2018 going all the way to 2020. And there's a, there's a few, there's a lot of a clubhouse really kind of took over last year and we just saw all kinds mm. of crazy things there. NFTs are the, the big craze in 2021. Uh, journalists seem to adapt or new technologies in, in innovative ways all the time from podcasting to Substack to 
uh, now it looks like NFTs. Do you think that this is the next big thing to entice journalists? And like this, like what you did with Dirt, you're gonna see, we're gonna see a plethora of other new publications pop up in a similar fashion. I have so many thoughts on this, so feel free to interrupt me because I actually think this is the first real tech gold rush opportunity that independent journalists will actually have the opportunity and the motivation to participate in because the idea of media companies as tech companies is pretty new. Other people might disagree with this, but when the dot-com boom and bubble started in like 1995, I was four years old <laughs> and I'm sure there were journalists who saw that opportunity of the dot-com boom and got involved, but their motivation would have been a lot lower because the bottom had not fallen out of magazines and newspapers yet. The business model at the time was pretty straightforward. People paid subscriptions to a print product and publications made sales revenue on print ads. And then the internet came along and digital ad revenue just isn't as lucrative and people expect stuff to be free on the internet. So already by the early 2000s, we're running into some issues. And then the 2008 recession happens and the bottom really falls out and things have sort of been downhill ever since. And you might say, well, what about like social media, Facebook, Twitter? Wouldn't that have been the first gold rush opportunity for journalists? What about blogging? I'm gonna go before that. Like, you know, blogger uh, in like, pre-Twitter, like when, when, like, cause like, look at, uh, was it Pre Perez Hilton or yeah, Perez Hilton. He was interesting and it had like Karen civil and like, two, there was a lot of music blogs. Is that, was that, was, was a blogger and a journalist? Is there a distinction there? Do we need to create that? I don't think that there's necessarily a distinction, but I think that blogs have followed the trajectory of publications more closely than they followed the trajectory of social media platforms. Got it. I got think it. there are people who are able to monetize blogs, but the monetization wasn't built into blogs the way that monetization is built into NFTs and cryptocurrency. Agree. Agree. And when Twitter and Facebook were pitched to journalists, the pitch was not to join Twitter and join Facebook as actual financial stakeholders. It was, hey, use our tools to promote your work for free. And the whole reason I have a job in media is because I was the young person that got hired out of college to do social media strategy for older media brands. Um, but a lot of stuff happened that was pretty messed up. Like Facebook lied about video views and they only came clean after people had been fired and replaced with video people um, because the media companies were so reliant on Facebook for traffic. So, you know, now the tech companies want to be media companies but the real moment of media companies becoming tech companies hasn't happened yet, in my opinion. Hmm. I think there's been a little bit of it with like proprietary content management systems, like CMS stuff, like Kinja, speaking of blogging. And oh. Kyle actually has a great story about um, content management systems as a business opportunity that he wrote for The Nation last year. Um, and you do see journalists jumping ship to tech. And there's actually a great piece in New York Magazine right now um, by Amelia Petrarca about fashion editors who've basically burned out in fashion media and gone and found work in Silicon Valley. But I would love for Dirt to be a consultant for small publications that are essentially always in subscription drive mode. So publications that we love that every week are essentially asking for money and new subscribers. And we want to collaborate with these kinds of publications on limited edition NFTs that would basically be co-branded. So Dirt X 
publication and to help them do sales of their own, to sort of shepherd them into the potential of this revenue model. And so we're already like talking about this. Drops. Like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's dope. Exactly. That's really dope. Like, um, and that, that, that makes a lot more sense. Right. Cause I was thinking like NFTs, as you know, there's tons of just new innovations that happen every day and in staying up to speed with just the innovations on the NFT side. And then also knowing, you know, how to, how to run a newsroom or, or create an editorial staff system that works is a, a, a full-time job or maybe two full-time jobs in itself. And so figuring out the balance there, that was what, that was really the, the impetus of that question. For sure. And I think that like, we're already talking with a small publication that's interested in doing this with us. Um, in terms of whether this will be widely adopted by independent journalists on their own or teaming up in some sort of DAO model, there's only two real obstacles to this that I see or um, potential obstacles, which is the environmental piece. A lot of journalists are pretty left-leaning. They're very concerned about the environment. And you know, I don't know that anyone has been able to give a definitive good answer other than, hey, 2.0 is coming to set people at ease who really care about this as part of their fundamental belief system. And the other thing is just access. You have to have a little bit of disposable income already to get into NFTs. And I think I'm very concerned with not reproducing the same inequalities that we see in the media industry or tech. Like if we're going to be a conduit to teaching our contributors about cryptocurrency, then we want to make sure that our contributors aren't just, you know, white middle-class writers, because if you're only sort of teaching people that are similar to you, how to engage in this space, you're not really giving people a leg up. And so my two things that I see as obstacles to um, this being more widely adopted is better messaging about the environmental question and real sort of deliberateness about making sure that the people who, you know, have merit and have something to offer are getting access to both the knowledge to engage in the space and the funding to engage in the space. So the, the funding part, like let's, let's, let's talk specific there because like, even as we're speaking, uh, Ryan, you, you might actually have this uh, at your fingertips. Uh, price of Ethereum is it's, it's a little, just sus- call it four grand, four grand, sub four grand. So we're almost at 4,000 and then there's gas and there's fees. And I mean, you, you are an ERC or mirror is an ERC 20 token. So that means it's an, Ether- it's on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, the prices are really, really, really high. I mean, if you want to do an NFT transaction, Ryan, what do you I mean? Just in, in USD, it'd probably be about oh, like three, four hundred bucks. Yeah, at the minimum. At the minimum, right? So, <laughs> and over, I'd say two thirds of that is gas. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's like that. We're not even really accounting for what the cost of the NFT is. That's like setting up your wallet. That's getting your gas, minting, like doing all the the, the preliminary stuff. Daisy, three, four hundred bucks just to just to explore. Is that? Is that practical? Like I can see publications doing it, but for a freelance journalist that's saying like, Hey, this is the gold rush. Is that a cost? Like where should they find the money? Should they go into their savings? Should they like raise money on GoFundMe? Like where, how would you get creative with that? Or like, what would your advice be? Yeah, I think right now it's pretty prohibitive and the gas prices aren't helping. But one thing that we're doing to give the people in our community a leg up is we're about to introduce a special NFT that's for our first 100 contributors. And it's a gift from us to people who helped get the project off the ground. So 
people can only get it if they write for us. And our hope with this is twofold that um, a, in us coming to them, we've had about 50 contributors already. So I emailed these 50 people and said, Hey, we have a gift for you. You'll have to have an Ethereum wallet set up. If you don't know how to do that, let us know. And so a show them how to set up a wallet, give them some information about how this works and B give them something that they can flip if they want to. So if somebody looks at this and says, Oh, I really like that design, but I can't get it because I didn't write for dirt, but I can make an offer to somebody who has this on open sea. Now we've, you know, essentially taught a man to fish because we've gone to all of these writers who might not have gotten into the space otherwise and said, Hey, set up a wallet so we can give you this NFT and here's how you do it. And then like B, we've given them a pretty big fish because there's only going to be a hundred of these ever. They received it on the merit of their editorial contribution, but it could be sold for anyone to anyone for any price. And it'll be worth whatever the market deems that it's worth. And so that's one way I think that we can kind of bring people along into this world in our own way. Wow. There's wow. a great quote by uh, Stephen King, who he said, uh, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but he's like, yes, I'd rather teach a man to fish, but it's a lot easier to teach him on a full belly. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. That's yeah. Real. Uh, follow-up question. Cause I know for a fact, I mean, you guys have already essentially innovated on, uh, NFTs and shown us what's possible with like, you know, funding a whole season of a newsletter just through NFTs. And I think that that in and of itself is going to get copied, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of times over in the next few years. Oh, for sure. The, I was reading up on an interview Kyle had with, uh, Mir, you know, the platform that helped you guys drop this essentially. And he was talking about like, you know, yes, we want to continue doing funding seasons through NFTs, but we're also thinking about like, how does an NFT become a part of the actual email newsletter experience? Right. So like, um, you know, we saw the New York times, the guy sold like Kevin Ruse or Rose or whatever his name is. He sold, you know, uh, an NFT for a few thousand dollars of his New York times article on NFTs and crypto, basically like that was cool. Like he took a snapshot, somebody bought it. How are, I know you guys are thinking about this. So how are you thinking about like bringing the NFT natively into a newsletter? So you're sending out one out daily. Like, what does it look like where an NFT is something that, you know, you've consumed the newsletter. Now you might want to go buy the NFT of that specific email topic you guys brought up. Like, is it, you know, a chart that you guys made natively in there? Is it like an entirely new like piece of art that correlates to it? I know you're thinking on that. Like, what, what what does that look like? Yeah. So in the next season, we have some surprise drops that will be unannounced drops mid-season um, to sort of to surprise and delight the token holders. So some of them will probably be gifts for people that already have a certain amount of tokens, um, but they will be directly tied to content. So they'll be thematic with what's being published in the newsletter at the time. I don't want to reveal more than that. For sure. But I have mixed feelings about making the NFT the actual content. So like token gating an article. Personally, I prefer content adjacent artwork, adjacent artwork. So we're just really focused on how do we make this character of dirty feel like part of the same universe as the stuff that we're writing about. And one answer to that is to just write about NFTs more. And so that's our plan. And we have a piece coming out this week by W. David Marks, who's writing a book for Viking about status symbols. And it's a really smart piece by him 
and he's taking this academic sort of anthropological framework of status symbols and seeing how do NFTs fit into it and comparing them to Rolex and Supreme. It's really smart and it's really readable. And I think it's the type of thing that people will sit up and pay attention to, but I don't want it to feel like dirty and the NFTs are, you know, on one side and the newsletter is on the other. We want it to feel like it's all part of the same community. People are invested in this storytelling, this character of this sort of roving jester, like the dirty verse, right? That's what you're calling the dirty it. Verse. The dirty exactly. verse. <laughs> yeah. Dirty verse. And I think people do feel that way because um, even people who haven't bought our NFTs will say, Oh, I love dirty. They're so cute. Um, you know, it makes people smile. No, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant idea. I, I, I think it, since you're in the metaverse, I'm going to ask a question that is a little off, off, off topic, but do you imagine like, like in your earlier, uh, breakdown, you talked about us going from like the web to 1.0 era to like 2.0 and like social media and platforms and how like journalists were kind of left out. The metaverse is being constructed right now. No one really knows what it looks like or where it will land finally, but there's a lot of places that you can kind of, you know, make some bets. We're seeing some clubs go and make, you know, even arcades in like Decentraland and the Sandbox and all that good stuff. Do you, have you thought about making like an, an, an NFT newspaper or bulletin or gazette or something that like exists only in these worlds, but it, it lives in the dirty verse as well? Um, I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. Our first NFTs were very much just introducing this character. Um, this gift for the writers is more about world building and you'll see more of Dirty's space and we'll see this will come out after the design. So I can say that he has a pet worm. Um, you know, it becomes apparent that Dirty has a pet earthworm. And so we're kind of setting up to say, well, what if the next NFT is the worm? Like we, we say more about the worm and he has a stack of books on his desk and so I think this idea of sort of accessorizing dirty, whether we're accessorizing the character with other editorial products um, is very much sort of where our heads are at about this. I have been thinking about this a lot because, or and even kind of getting prepared to write about what does it mean to be a cultural critic when the products that you are criticizing or reacting to or analyzing only exist in the metaverse. And the thing that got me thinking about this was I had a breakthrough case of COVID a few weeks ago. I'm fine now, but for two days, I couldn't smell anything. And I had ordered a new perfume and the perfume came and I couldn't smell it. And it was so frustrating. And I was Googling and I, and I saw an article about a perfume that was launched only in the metaverse. So here, I'm, here I am, I can't smell, I can't smell my perfume. And I'm reading about a perfume that exists only in the metaverse, which means nobody can smell it. So how would you review that perfume? How would you describe it? And this essential question is like, I would say unanswerable. <laughs> I mean, oh, how smell a vision? You, you know, you know <laughs> what about smell a vision? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We're going down real infinite just territory with this one. <laughs> you, know, we, we, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, Pokemon. Or take it back to Pokemon. In Pokemon, yeah. uh, did you did you play Pokemon, Daisy? I had the cards as a kid. Oh. Like I, I dabbled in it. <laughs> the video. So in the video game, there's a Ryan. You played right. A couple of them. Okay. So, you know, in the video game where you, uh, let's say you're trying to just run through, uh, a, a, like you're trying to get to the next town and you don't want to battle all the Pokemon in the wild. You can spray like a rappel 
and it's a it's a virtual cement like you have to pay for it and like it repels pokemon and like you know if that can or repel worked if you don't run into any pokemon or if it doesn't it like sort of works and you run into like less pokemon so it's a so you're saying that that perfume would have pheromones encoded into its <laughs> into its dna its nft dna and essentially like people in the metaverse as they're walking by like they might their character unknowingly will be attracted to you because <laughs> it's hey, just coded into it it sounds like ready player one that's what it's what we're getting towards yeah i mean yeah i can see that it's you know how do we how do you look at something that's like a, a fashion, a pair of sneakers, an NFT pair of sneakers? So yeah, on one, in one sense, you could evaluate the value of it based on how other people in the metaverse react to it. But it's also in a sense, just signaling ownership. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of things that we buy in the physical world, we buy to signal ownership. So it's not that different, but I do think dirt, Kyle and I have decided to use dirt as a way to actually like answer these questions in real time, Got it. we're writing about the metaverse and we're participating in the metaverse. And so if anyone was going to answer the question of what does it mean to describe a perfume that you can't smell because it's in the metaverse, let it be us. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's really dope. I, uh, I, I like, I like the way you think about it, but I think there, there's a little bit of background there, right? You, you by, by day, are you a full-time journalist or do you, you, what do you do beyond this? I work in audience development for media companies. And the company that I work for right now is called Hodinki. So it's a watch publisher and it's also a watch retailer. So um, Hodinki sells new watches. What's your favorite watch? And vintage. My favorite watch? Yeah. Um, probably a Cartier tank. Okay. okay. Um, and actually Cartier is releasing a solar powered watch that I have my eye on because um, I like the idea of something sustainable is it, it's it, it's a solar powered luxury watch or a solar powered like active everyday watch it's a luxury watch it okay. has the same profile as um traditional cartier tank it. and it has has a battery that lasts for 16 years so the battery powered quartz watches are a little bit less sort of valued than the mechanical ones right. but it's still you know a few thousand dollar price point no that's that's cool so like how has that experience just kind of helped you just with building mirror? I mean, not build, building mirror, but building dirt and like partnering with mirror and like, just cause I feel like, you know, looking at watches and just knowing the, the, the watch world, like you, you can become very particular. Like you might like a body style, but you're like, I don't like the leather strap on that. Or the ostrich just doesn't do it, do it for me. I like the metal band. Like you can get really particular. So has that rubbed off on you? And, and, and does that slow down your creative process when it comes to uh, just thinking about the publication and where you want to take it? Mm. Well, yeah, I'm actually really struck by the similarities between watches and NFTs because for both watches and NFTs, Value correlates with rarity, but it's not a one-to-one correlation. Sometimes something that isn't rare becomes rare because there's a demand for it that is based on some factor that transcends the actual value of the labor that went went into it or the materials that went into it. And a really good example of that is the Rolex Paul Newman Daytona. Have you seen one before? Of course. I'm a Rolex yeah. connoisseur. So I'm a- so not everyone knows this, but um, the Rolex Paul Newman Daytona was not popular in the time that it was made. Um, people very much preferred the traditional Daytona. And the only difference between the sort of regular vintage Daytona and the quote exotic one was the dial. 
Um, so these dials just sat on shelves for years and years. And in the 80s through the early 2000s, um, they gained in popularity because Italian collectors um, started calling them the Paul Newman. And, you know, photographs of him wearing his watch that had this exotic dial began to circulate. And there was an enormous uptick um, in the people buying these. But because they had been so unpopular for so long, not a lot of them had been made. And so this watch that didn't sell in the 60s and 70s suddenly became and remains one of the hottest vintage watches in the world. And so I'm like, Paul Newman is basically to this Daytona variation what Steph Curry is to the Board Ape Yacht Club. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, he aped in kind of late, but if he had kicked off <laughs> the popularity of this of this NFT and or a previously unpopular NFT, then you you have sort of a, a comparison here where Sometimes it's not about the rarity. Um, for, for sure. And sometimes the demand can be spurred by something other than um, by some sort of like non non predictable value. Right. Like, Whether, yeah. Because like to use your Rolex example, there's a few stories like that. Like, are, are you familiar with the Domino's uh, Air, Air King Rolex? Oh, sure. And yeah, it's a, like, it was a trashy Rolex, right? Like, you know, people yeah. like, but today it's like, you know, it's a street, it's like street culture would be like, if you had that in the Supreme hoodie, you, 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 you'd be the man officially. Right. Like, so we sold a Jimmy John's Rolex last week. For real? We had people in the comment section being like, I would never buy something engraved with Jimmy John's on the back. And I was like, I would buy it because it was engraved with Jimmy John's on the back. <laughs> and so then, Yeah. And, and, and me and Ryan actually have this conversation about rarity and NFTs because uh, Ryan is, uh, I, I guess I don't have to speak for you, but he loves to like go on. What's the site that you use? Uh, rare, rare, like what's Dap this? Radar? No, not Dap Radar. The one where you can go and look at all the variants for the 10K projects. Oh, rarity tools. Yeah. So Ryan has this tool that he does and he'll analyze all of the traits and plug it in and he'll come back and be like, all right, I'm going to buy this one, this one, or this one. And I'm like, uh, it I'm usually just, doesn't work how I think I, it would, I, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Daisy, like, I'm just like, I'm gonna just buy one. Like, I don't care. Like, I mean, cause at the end of the day, I don't think that the collection, the, the, the people that collect NFTs, they aren't doing the research. And then when they do do the research, what's weird about it is it's the things that you would have never expected to go like super uh, viral. Like I remember with Top Shot, it was never the first edition or even the last edition. It was like the jersey number, right? So if you had a Luca NFT, uh, you want it number 77 because that was his jersey number. And it, just NFT subculture, like in starting to look at that, like a little bit deeper, there's very few people talking about that. And, and, and very few people understand it, except for the people that are actually collecting and trading NFTs. And I think we don't even understand it, which is why it's a conversation on this podcast right now. A hundred percent. I actually have an example of that from Fame Ladies. So I bought a Fame Lady after um, the sort of first developers had been not pushed out, but asked to transfer ownership to the community. And some background on this project is um, it was made by some Russian developers who let people think or led people to believe it was a woman-led project. It wasn't. Um, the community found out and asked them to transfer ownership, which they did. And so I bought my NFT after ownership had been transferred. And one of the uh, attributes that's really um, valuable of the fame ladies is that some of them are wearing balaclavas. And for me, I was like, well, I wouldn't want a balaclava one because you can't see anything, but people go nuts for the balaclava ones. Whereas I bought the one with Gucci glasses. Cause to me, that's a lot cooler. Like the glasses, I could see the earrings. I can see the tattoos. 
Um, and some of that stuff just isn't predictable. No, no. Um, I, the other one that's like super funny. So, I so before you go there, I, I have a family. Yeah. I bought it before. I bought it not. It was like literally that week before it was. They were unveiled or like they were. <laughs> un, un, like I had bought it because I kept getting tagged on it on Twitter. Like it was literally fame lady, fame lady, fame lady, fame lady. Because they were talking about you know their first uh, female um, founded uh, NFT collection. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna get in, and I just I followed the hype, and then the price plummets, blah blah blah, and it kind of came back up. I didn't buy many, but when I, when, when they were minting them, what I was looking for is like, one of my criteria is like, I try to buy things that look weird. So like, if it, like, if it has something weird, like the color, color disrate, uh, uh, like a weird color or, you know, something weird on the shirt. Cause I, I just, I'm like, okay, if it looks weird, it's probably going to be the one like, you know, like you think about the board ape with the laser eyes or the one that's chewing bubble gum. Like those are the ones where it's like, okay, sold for a million dollars. You're like, really that one? That's not the cool, but to, I didn't mean to cut you off, Daisy. I, I, uh, what were you going to say after this? Oh no. Um, I was going to say, do you know what the morgues are in the fame ladies community? I don't please put me. So on this info comes from Jason Strasser on Twitter. So I just wanted to give credit where it's due because I didn't know. Um, so these Russian guys that made the, the project and in retrospect, it's like, how was it not abundantly obvious that this was made by some Russian men? Because they have a trait called the Morgan Stern and he's a Russian rapper with a 666 tattoo. And so they call the ladies that have the 666 tattoo morgues. And I was in the discord, like what the hell is a morgue? Because I thought it was an abbreviation like NGMI. And I was asking Kyle, like, Hey, what's this NFT slang morgue? And it's short for Morgan Stern. And it was just referring to these tattoos, but I thought that was a really interesting quirk of this community where, you know, some people might be buying just for this like morgue attribute that comes out of this Russian rapper reference that I guarantee like the majority of Americans have no idea what that is. For sure. And if you do, you might be on the FBI's radar or something. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're on a watch list. You are on a watch list. You heard it here first, but I mean, one Daisy, we can, we can talk forever. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're coming close to that time where it's time for us to go. The one question I have for you is as a person that is experienced with audiences, luxury items, NFTs, newsletters, where do you think this stuff is going to go? Well, I do think, um, you know, if, if we want community to be a big part of this and it is, you can't just build a discord and like leave it right. Like there's so much deliberateness that needs to go into community building and frankly, moderation. And I was really spoiled because I was hanging out in the fame ladies discord. And I was like, this is lovely. Like, I don't know if you've seen memes about, um, like drunk girls in the bathroom at the club, but Mm -hmm. that is what the fame ladies discord is. It's everyone hyping each other up. Oh, show me your lady. Oh, so cool. Just relentlessly positive, relentlessly nice. And then I like dipped into another discord and I was like, Oh, like, people were being weird and not very nice. And I just had no idea. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of moderation that's gone into fame ladies, I'm sure. And so, and that's often like invisible labor in the audience development space. Like I moderate the comments on the Hodinkee website. So I'm very familiar with the work that goes into this. Um, You know, you see the comments that make it through. You don't see the comments that don't make it through. So that's really important job, but 
it's not really like an, if you build it, they will come scenario when it comes to actually having a healthy community, like you have to be in there engaging with people, starting conversations, moderating disputes and fame ladies has done that really well. And it's also full of people that I think sort of set the tone for what engagement is going to be in that community, which is encouraging other people, welcoming people who have just purchased their first NFT and it's fame ladies explaining the basics to other people. And I sort of took that for granted until I dipped into other discords and realized, oh, wow, that's like really not always the case. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I join a lot of discords just to see like, okay, how what's the hype level for this upcoming project? Like I'll join them before the mint process starts just to kind of see like, okay, like what are people talking about? What's like, is this something I really want to be a part of? And oftentimes it is kind of that like, it can, it, it can, the line of that positive feedback loop that you're talking about can get to the point where it's like, Oh, this is just a bunch of people like doing that so that I buy into this, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's definitely a fine line between like, Oh, this is actually like a cool community. And Oh, this is just a bunch of people like talking positively so that more people will buy, you I, know? I don't know. Yeah. I think that when it becomes sort of like uncanny and inauthentic, you know, most people know where the line is. Like if mm -hmm. a stranger came up to me on the street and was like, Oh, I love your hair. And then like kept walking. I would be like, that was so sweet. That made my day. Right. But if they were like, Oh, I love your hair. Oh, Oh, you have such pretty, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if they kept going or if it was just like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> like you're definitely you selling me something. You know, that's normal in New York, <laughs> like New York culture. I feel like, you know, Everyone's like, oh, hey, don't yo. talk to me if, if you see me on the sidewalk in New York. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be like, hey, yo, ma, what's up? <laughs> Nobody's getting a compliment out. I'm already like 10 yards away by that you're point. 10 yards away. Damn, you're counting the, the 40 yard dash. All right. Um, <laughs> NFTs, NFTs. It wouldn't be right if we didn't ask you about your favorite NFTs in your collection that are not shilled by you. So we've, we've talked about Dirty for 46 minutes now. <laughs> what NFTs beyond that in Fame Ladies are you most excited? for want to get into like what's keeping you up at night and, 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 and that's that's the question um i really like my crypto skull crypto um, skull crypto skulls are a project from 2019 so they're an og nft project is and that the so, eddie gangland one those ones or no um no i think they're separate okay yeah I'm um, it now. okay keep talking i'm not sure though <laughs> It's just cryptoskulls.com. And apparently there's going to be like a game coming out with them in the fall, but I didn't buy them for the game. I just, I think skull art is cool. And I have another piece of sort of skeleton themed art from known origin. So I thought maybe I can have like a little sub theme of my collection. That's um, skeletons and skulls, but you know, Halloween's coming up. Maybe some people are going to get in on it. And I like the idea of having something um, from 2019. So. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. All right. Yeah. Well, Daisy, it's been a pleasure having you. Honestly, this is one of the coolest NFT QT shows. We will be sharing it all over the universe and metaverse and dirtyverse. Ryan, you cool <laughs> with you that? Thank you so much for having me. Yes. No, thank you for joining us. And uh, with that being said, we will catch you in the future. Thanks for listening. Ryan, any last words, comments? No, this was a, this was a blast. Yeah. And as always, this, this episode specifically was brought to you by the NFT handbook. The NFT handbook is a detailed guide on how to create, sell, and buy non-fungible tokens without the need for a technical background. You can learn exactly what NFTs are, how they have, how they've evolved and why they have value. Just check out the NFT handbook on amazon.com. <laughs>